Hi, everybody. Hi. Pull out your Bibles because you're going to need it today. We're going to actually read the Bible today. Um, if you've never been here, welcome. So glad you guys are here. A couple, couple parties that haven't been here before. Um, so today's a fun day for me. I get to preach the end of the God and Money series. And we're going to be diving deep. We're going to do a quick recap on what we have been talking about. And then we're going to jump into kind of the conclusion. So we've got several... Um, He's just going to give you the address of the Bible verse on the screen when the times come, but the words won't be on the screen. So if you want to follow along with me, pull out your phone or your actual Bible and read it with me. Before we do, I have a scripture that I was reading this morning. It's in Jeremiah 17, just as I was kind of going through my normal Bible stuff. And there was a couple of things that really stood out to me. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, and this is verse 5 through 10. It says, thus says the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. We're going to talk about this just a little bit in the sermon, but my hope for you guys is that none of you um, become people who trust in yourself, that you have no self-trust, that your trust is completely 100% in the Lord knowing that he wants to take care of you in the most beautiful ways. Because verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a seed, he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For it leaves, it leaves, its leaves remain, remain green and not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen? Those who trust in the Lord, that is what they have. And then... As I preach today, I want you to be searching your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart for places that he wants to highlight about money, but also just about your faith adventure with him. So verse 9 of Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That verse 10 it says that the Lord tests the mind. And in the Hebrew, that word mind actually means the kidneys, <laughs> which apparently in Hebrew culture, that was the seat of emotion, is your kidneys, okay? So the Lord is testing your heart. He's searching your heart. He's testing your emotions. And then he wants to come and give to you or to appoint or to grant or to reward you the fruit of your deeds, Amen. So, Father, I'm asking today as we preach the word, would you just begin to search hearts? Holy Spirit, we give you permission to search hearts and to highlight things that are on your heart today that you want to touch, that you want to change, that you want to move. So, it's been six weeks now. Today is week six. We've been talking about God and money. The first week, we talked about, Rachel talked about the filter and how if your filter with God is not correct, you're not going to see money correct either. And she talked about Dallas Willard. He has this idea that all of man's troubles come from seeing God incorrectly. And that, that how do you see God? We've got to get that clear and straight. She talked about um, how God uses money oftentimes like the, the spiritual kindergarten in your faith walks. It's like the very beginning. He loves to poke on your money to see where your trust is. And to, to God, money is nothing but a tool. If you can create anything that you want to create at any time, then money is worthless because you can snap your fingers and create money. 
To God, money is a tool to train us in his kingdom to trust him in new ways. Week two, I taught on Jehovah Jireh, and we talked about how Abraham, he went onto the top of the mountain, and it was on the mountain of obedience that the Lord provided the sacrifice, okay? The sacrifice wasn't on top of the mountain. It wasn't readily available until the obedient act had happened, and then the provision came. And so Abraham said, that place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord Almighty, he's the one that provides, but the provision comes out of obedience, Week three, Rachel taught about mammon and the God of mammon and how you can't serve God and mammon together. Jesus made it plain as day. And unfortunately, many Bible verses have changed the word mammon to simply be money, but it's completely separate. It's a completely different thing. Mammon is a spiritual principality that wants to teach you how to think about money in a completely opposite way of how God thinks about money. And so you have to choose. Will you serve mammon in the way that mammon thinks about money, or will you serve God and put your trust in God and believe what he believes about money? Mammon, the doors to mammon, opening the door to mammon in your life, things like greed, debt, selfishness, self-protection, which we just talked about in Jeremiah. Week four, Brandon taught about sowing and reaping. And how this sowing and reaping, it's a universal law that's at play everywhere throughout the whole world. He held up three different PVC pipes. And he explained that the provision and the blessing and the abundance of God, it's never ending. But you can only release so much into your life and into the people around you based on your capacity to allow his blessings to flow. And so if you have a tiny little PVC pipe, you're going to have very little of his goodness coming through you to bless those around you. But as you put a, a faith adventure in place, and as you begin to press harder and stretch yourself and trust God more, then God gives you a bigger pipe. And then he gives you another bigger pipe and a bigger pipe. And the more that you put your faith in him and trust him, the more he grows your capacity to bring his kingdom onto the earth and to bless the people that are around you. But it all comes through sowing and through reaping. You've got to sow if you're going to see that capacity grow. Last week, Rachel taught on what tithing really was. And she talked about in the Old Testament, if we go add everything up as far as what they were supposed to give with all of the festivals and the feasts and the cycles, in some accounts, it may have been closer to 50% of somebody's production. <laughs> Not just 10%, but if you add it all up, it was much, much, much more. And so the tithe um, is something that the Lord called us to, but it's so much more about getting our minds right with what, what money is to start with. She dug into the idea that God isn't withholding from you if you withhold from him. A lot of times we have that thought. If we don't give our tithe, oh, something's bad. No, my car's going to break. <laughs> oh, no, my tires are, oh, no, my brake. Oh, no, something's going to happen now because I didn't give my tithe. Like, no. God poured out all of his punishment for sin upon the cross when Jesus was on the cross. If there was any punishment left, we should all be terrified because there's plenty of sin, right? But God already completely 100% poured out all punishment for sin. It's been dealt with. And so now we get to live under the blessing of God and what happens nowadays is when we choose to walk away from that blessing and we go outside of his covering, yeah, the world is a crummy place and bad stuff happens very consistently, right? 
but you have the opportunity to just stand in his grace, okay? But it's not like he's, um, he's cursing you for withholding your money, okay? He's not punishing you. She also talked about the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance and how God loves to partner with us. He wants to bless you. He wants to get behind you. He wants to help you. But if you're just going to sit on your couch and be like, come on, God, bring that thousand bucks, it's a little bit harder for the Lord to do it. He wants to prosper your plans and partner with him together. So those were the first five weeks. If you missed them, you might want to go back and and listen to what we've been talking about. Today, we're going to wrap it all up with a big picture understanding of what faith is. And really, we talked about God uses money as like the kindergarten. And so I want to use that as a springboard to launch you into hopefully a deeper faith walk with the Lord today. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is super unconventional, but I felt like the Lord said we're supposed to read the whole chapter. So you'll probably get bored if you don't open it yourself. (laughs) Send your Bible. So open up to Hebrews chapter 11. And I just want to remind us of what faith is all about, what this life on the earth is all about. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You guys know this is one of my favorite verses. The Bible is telling you, if you want to please God, you have to believe that he exists and that he wants to reward you as you dedicate your life to him. You have to have those two together. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Lord, let that be us, looking forward to the city, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashores. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they were looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of the staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses... When he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover in the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she had welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning and they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? So why do we bring up the whole chapter. <laughs> Why do we read it all? Because at the end of your life, when you stand before God, there's going to be rewards that come to you based on your faith and your action connected to it. I want to cheer as you are rewarded for living a radical life of faith and trust in the Lord. 
The Lord's invited each and every single one of you in the room into a radical lifestyle of faith so that when you stand before the Lord, you can be right there with these heroes of faith because you did what God called you to do. And I think you're going to see at the end of the days, you're going to find that God used money very consistently to test those who were faithful or not faithful. But what's fascinating about faith to me is that it's unbelievably unique and personal to each and every single person. If David had gone back to the Red Sea and he had tried to be faithful like Moses was faithful and he stood at the edge of the Red Sea trying to be faithful and he tried to part the Red Sea, it would have been an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Moses' faith was not David's faith. Because faith is always unique and specific to the individual person. If David had taken his son Solomon to the top of Mount Sinai and tried to kill his son on the top of Mount Sinai, doing what Abraham was called to do, it would have been a tremendous blow backwards against the kingdom of God. Because faith is specific and unique for each person. You cannot copy what other people have done. It has to be based on what God tells you specifically. And your rewards in heaven, when you stand before God at the end of your life, will only come based on what you did with the things that God called you to do. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked. We're going to be looking around and you're going to see somebody just get loaded up with the craziest riches in eternity. And you're going to think, who the heck is that person? I've never heard of them. I don't have a clue what they did. And you're going to see what they did with their life, and you're going to think, what? They didn't plant churches. They didn't lead millions to the Lord. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. All the things I think have to be done in order to gain inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to find out maybe all they did was pray every single day. And you're blown away by the extravagant riches that the Lord puts on them because they fully obeyed what he told them to do. And I think we'll also be very confused and probably saddened because I believe there will be some extremely famous Christian leaders that we today think, oh my gosh, that's the epitome of the Christian life. Like, wow, they're going to have so much inheritance and we're going to get there and realize they actually didn't do what they were called to do. They did what they saw somebody else did, and they copied it, and there was favor and blessing on it, but that's not where the rewards come from because it wasn't faith. So we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9. Open up your Bible. We're going to go 9 through 13. 1 Kings 19, 9. Elijah, he's just defeated Baal up on the mountain. Fire falls from heaven. Jezebel gets angry. She wants to kill him. Elijah freaks out and he runs away. Verse 9, and there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken They've forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone, uh, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. 
Verse 11, and then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Close your eyes. Picture a tornado, just ripping rocks to pieces. Like, you got to have a strong wind to rip rocks into pieces. So Elijah goes out from the mouth of the cave, and a tornado comes by, and it's extremely destructive. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was a mighty earthquake. Did anybody feel the earthquake last night? I didn't. <laughs> I was laying on my bed, and I saw a comment on Facebook that was like, did you feel that? And I was like, mm-mm, <laughs> I didn't feel nothing. <laughs> Apparently, we had an earthquake last night. But an earthquake shakes everything around. It's destroying the mountains. The earthquake happens, and after the earthquake, the fire. It says the Lord was not in the earthquake, and the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love this scripture, because... I think that the, the Lord loves to speak through these still, small voices. He loves it. Because you have to pay attention if you're going to hear a still, small voice. And the Lord wants to find out, do we care enough about what he has to say to quiet ourselves and to pay attention to what he wants to do? Or what he wants to say. If we were in the kids' room next door, and they're screaming and yelling and jumping and bouncing and being all crazy, and somebody's across the room whispering, it's going to take significant effort to go up and to listen to what that person's saying. And I think the Lord loves to use the still, small voice because he's curious, do you even care enough about what he has to say? It takes effort. It takes you going out of your way to hear the voice of God. And what's cool about this scripture is the, the still small voice speaks, and it gives Elijah direction for his future. The direction was to go raise up Elisha and then to go on the path, and the Lord speaks to him about being taken up in a chariot of fire and going up into heaven in a chariot of fire. That's some good direction. What if Elijah didn't feel like paying attention? What if he just wanted to stay in the back of the cave and hide from the fire? The still small voice is unbelievably profound and significant, but it takes effort for you to get up and to go to the edge of your seat and to pay attention to what he's saying. So hearing his voice, it happens only when you press in, when you try to hear him, when it comes as you spend time in the word, learning to understand how he thinks and how he acts and looking for himself to reveal to you as, he's given, uh, as you give time to knowing him. One thing that is true consistently when it comes to faith adventures and rewards, if you want radical rewards in eternity, then you have to go on radical faith adventures on the earth. And again, I just want to encourage you, radical faith adventures for each of you is extremely specific. Like when I say those words, I have nothing specific in my mind because only God can tell you what your radical faith adventures are. But if you want great rewards in eternity, you've got to be taking some action now on the earth, paying attention to the voice of God. Open to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. 
Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. And now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered two talents, and here I've made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. So here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine plus interest. So take the talent from the one and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brandon touched on this parable a little bit. In other versions of this story in the Gospels, Jesus communicates that they will be given entire cities in eternity to manage based on how they handled the finances in this story that is how they were able to teach or to tell the Lord that they were faithful enough to be trusted to rule entire cities I think this is interesting because if you look at the story there's no directions from the master he doesn't explain to them how to invest it he doesn't give them really specific rules or anything. The money, 100%, was a test of their hearts to see what their heart would reflect and do with the master. It was specifically given as a test. I don't think the master had any concern about what's going to happen to the money, big picture. We don't see him worried about that. It was only there for a, a test to find out how they're going to handle it. And he was so pleased with the ones who partnered with him. I think this is extremely important because a part of God, at times he's going to speak to you very specific things that he wants you to do. But at other times, you're going to be listening for the still, small voice and saying, God, what do I do? I don't know if I should do this. I don't know. And the Lord is watching your heart to see if you will try to advance his kingdom and partner with him with your own ideas and with your own dreams. And when you do, then he loves to bring the blessings into your life. And I think it's interesting, the one who said, I have one. Here, I hid it. Just take the money back. Take what's yours. There was no partnership 
between the master and himself. He was like, I don't know why you gave this to me. This has nothing to do with my life. Take what's yours. Leave me alone. And I just want to say in the Christian life, you have that opportunity. You have that choice to live that way. You do not have to surrender your life completely to Jesus and give him everything. It's your choice. You can choose not to partner with him. You can choose to live however you want to and just pretend like the things that he's given you, the talents that he's given you, you can just bury them and just go do your own thing. But that's not where the blessings are. That's not where the rewards are. That's not where the joy of the master is. It only comes through sacrifice and surrender to him in his dreams for you. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Radical rewards take radical obedience. You say it with me? Radical rewards take radical obedience. And so it is with God and money. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong way with money. It all comes down to obedience to the voice of God. For some people, to give 10% tithe and that's it, that is obedience. That is full and complete total obedience. And for some people to give 90%, that is full and complete total obedience. And for some people to give 90% is not obedience to the voice of God. And vice versa. You have to listen to the voice of God. You have to pay attention to what he tells you specifically and how are you obeying it. I love the stories of the saints of old who just like these radical giving stories where they trust, they put their necks on the line trusting God. One of my favorites is John G. Lake. He was a guy in the early 1900s. We named our daughter after him. He loved the Lord. He planted over 500 churches. He had an incredible healing ministry. John G. Lake was a really successful businessman in Chicago. He sold insurance, and he was making around $200,000 a year in, like, 1905, which today is worth probably millions. I don't know what the, what the conversion would be, but he's making some bank. And he had a fire for God. He wanted to see people healed and saved because his wife had been healed at, at, at another preacher. And so he started just finding excuses to preach the word of God and, and to get out there and pray for the sick. So every night in Chicago, he would just find somewhere where he could stand up in front of people and preach the gospel. And the Lord started to do amazing things. And the Lord called him to move to Africa. And he was radical when the Lord called him to move to Africa. He gave away every single penny, every possession that he had, he gave it away completely. And he took his big family, I think he had like seven or eight kids, he took his whole family to the boat to get on the month-long journey to go to South Africa. He did not have money to get onto the boat. That's how radical he was. He had no money for food. He had no money for laundry. He had no money for anything. He gave it all away trying to obey the voice of God. 
And while he's in line to get on the boat, some random person walks up and hands him money. And it's just barely enough to get onto the boat. He gets on the boat miraculously. And now it's time to eat food. And he brought with him like a couple cans of beans for a month-long trip. Because <laughs> that's all he had. And the Lord miraculously provided for him. Then it was time to do laundry and they couldn't wash their clothes. And the Lord provided for him. He gets off of the boat and South Africa won't let him get off of the boat without proving he has enough money in his pocket to get back on the boat and go home. And so he's like, well, I did what you said to do. Here we are. I guess we're going home, right? And miraculously, somebody jumps off the train, runs up to him, and gives him the money he needs to be able to prove he can leave. And they say, the Lord told me you're coming, Mr. Lake. I have a, I have a place for you. Nobody's ever heard of this guy. And this person has a dream from God that they need to go give him this money and take him into their house. And after that, within five years, he planted 500 churches in South Africa. I love those stories. I love those stories. I love the stories of Heidi Baker saying, yes, God, I will take every orphan you bring my direction. I will adopt every single one of them. Even though I have no money to take care of them, or I have no idea how this is going to work, I will say yes to you. And then the food, it's not enough. But they just keep scooping, and it keeps miraculously multiplying inside of the pot time and time again because she said yes to a radical faith adventure with God. Che On, he wrote a book called The Grace of Giving, and I, I love this book. It set me on fire several years ago. And in the book, he talks about this group of people who challenged each other to give and to give and to give, and they called it the 50% club. And when they had all challenged each other to get to where they were giving away half of everything that they earned. And the stories that come from it are incredible. Last week, Rachel shared just a little bit about our experience with this. We started giving 20%, started giving 30%. And by golly, the next year was 40%. And by golly, the next year was 50%. But it was a, a, I don't know, we'll see when we get to heaven how it all shook out. But for us, it wasn't obedience to go on that same journey, right? And so then we went back to 10%. And today we give regularly 10% and then much, much more as the Lord leads throughout the years for different projects. But what the Lord started doing inside of me is he started teaching me about leverage and financing leverages for the kingdom. We, the church did this book a few years ago. It's called the, the Path. And if you didn't get to do it with us, you might really enjoy it. Um, you might hate it, but it will change your life. Let's say that. <laughs> Raise your hand if you did The Path. Reese or Rachel. Okay, cool. It's a book called The Path. It's a workbook, and it asks you a bunch of questions about why are you on the earth? Who are you? And you start dreaming and processing with God. And they're not easy questions. They're challenging, challenging to work through. But as we went through the path, for me personally, I began to really feel like this is what the Lord had called me to. When I'm an old man, I want to have a dozen thriving businesses that are bringing in millions of dollars a year. And that I'm able to have a huge machine gun of money that I can point at the gates of hell and destroy the, the work of the enemy. And wherever the Lord tells me to point it, we can just advance the kingdom of God in radical ways because there's this machine 
of finances coming in that the Lord has poured his favor out on. And so for me, that was at the beginning of Chamberlain. That was at the beginning of real estate sales. And, and that is Chamberlain. That is the real estate team. That is the mortgage company. That is the soon coming title company. Like those are businesses dedicated solely for the purpose of destroying the gates of hell. But the Lord also started teaching me as Rachel was feeling like, okay, we're giving 30%, that's cool. The business is growing, that's cool. And we're barely paying our bills. Something's wrong here. <laughs> we can't buy uh, the ice cream for the kids because we're being so radical in our faith journey. And the Lord started to teach me about the importance of not giving away the seed that he was providing to us to get to that long-term big adventure that he called us in. And so today, we're, that's, we're kind of in this strange, like, okay, we're, it feels like a work a lot of days. It's just hard work. But it's what the Lord's called us into, and we're letting it grow into those dozen businesses so that eventually there's a, a tremendous impact in the future. And that's what he's called us to. And that may change tomorrow, but for now, that's where it's at. But that's our faith journey. I believe that when we get to eternity, that's what we're a big part of what we're going to be rewarded on is our obedience. But my faith journey cannot be your faith journey. Like my radical advancing the kingdom of God in the way that I'm doing it through business can't be yours. He has something specific and unique just for you. And a lot of times it doesn't look radical or adventurous. But you know the voice of God. You know what he spoke to you. And you know this is, this is what he's called you to. Matthew 6.33. It wraps it up the best. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is your treasure on the earth or is your treasure with the Lord? Do you treasure your bank account more than your faith journey with God? Are you living a life of trusting your daddy to take care of you no matter what? Or are you living like an orphan, believing you have to take care of everything on your own? We read that scripture in Jeremiah 17 earlier. Don't put your trust in yourself. The blessings come when you only trust in the Lord. So my challenge to you is to press in, to have a radical faith journey with God in all areas of your life. And oftentimes that does begin with your finances. I want you to be wise, and I want you to be abandoned. I want you to work hard, knowing it is God who gives you the ability to create wealth. And I want you to put no trust in yourself to provide for yourself, but only to look to God. I want you to test the Lord based on what he said, that when you bring in the tithes, he's going to fill up your storehouses. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. I want you guys to see for yourselves every single word of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and you carefully follow all his commands that he gives you today... The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. 
All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come and blessed when you go. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They're going to come at you from one direction and flee seven ways. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people and he prom- as he promised you on oath if you keep his commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. And then all the peoples on the earth will see that you are called by my name, by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands." And you will lend to many nations and borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord that I give you today and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. So do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the left or to the right, following other gods and serving them. Those things happen for those who are radically obedient and have a hunger for the adventure of faith. If you just want a normal life, God's not upset. He's not going to punish you. It's just that you are going to miss out in eternity. Sometimes he's looking for your initiation of faith faith adventures. So as we wrap up today, Cody, are you still in the room? Okay, cool. Anybody else know how to play keys? No? Okay. I'll turn on some music. Rachel, you turn on some music. Here's what we want to do. I want to take five minutes. And I want you to allow the Lord to search your heart. Connected with money, but also connected with your radical faith adventure with him. Tell him how you truly feel about money or specific situations. I would encourage you to journal, to write out your thoughts, to let him tell you thoughts and write down what he says. If you have something to write with or your phone, or you can come and kneel down on the front and lay down before him and connect with him. Tell him how you feel. Ask him what his thoughts are, what thoughts that you have that need to be corrected. Make a choice today to surrender any mammon-fueled beliefs about God and money and to adopt God's way of viewing money. And then make a radical step forward in your heart to pursue that radical adventure of faith with him, including your finances. Amen. Five minutes, and then we'll wrap it up.